episode number seven. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff. Very happy to be here. I got some great Divrei Torah for this week's Parsha and on other subjects here. So in this week's podcast, we're going to be discussing, we're going to start with the powerful parables for spiritual growth. And then we're going to do great stories of great rabbis. I'm going to do something on the Parsha of the Week, on the daily, weekly portion of the Torah. And last but not least, we are going to do on peace in your home. Please stick around for everything. Okay. So we're going to start it with the parable of the Chavetz Chaim. He's got a whole book on parables. Parables make, uh, means we're learning from the known to the unknown. So it's going to be a story, and from the story we're going to learn something. He starts like this, and he says, If you walk up to a Jew in the street and you ask him, Do you know how great is the mitzvah of Torah study, and how much punishment there is in store for people who don't study, study Torah? So he says, Of course I know. So the question is, then why is he not sitting and learning if he knows? So he wants to give a story like this to explain that. So one time, a new king was crowned by the ministers, and they decided to honor his coronation by buying him a brand new crown. So they tried to find the best goldsmith in the town, and they got the best jewels, they spent tons of money, and they wanted to make him this unbelievable crown. So that's what they did. They sent all the money over there, he made this unbelievable crown, and they sent these guys to go pick it up. So on the way back, they decided to show this crown to a couple of uh, farm workers on the way. Would you like to see something beautiful? They said, yeah, sure, we want to see. So they show him. The village was amazed. Wow, look at that crown. It's unbelievable. So one of the carriage drivers says, you know what? You want to trade it? I'll give you this crown for two oxen. For those oxen that are plowing your field. I'll give it to you. He says, wow, that sounds like a great trade. You know, of course, it's worth it. I'll give you, the, I'll give you my oxen for the crown. So another one of the farmers there says, what are you doing? What are you going to do with the crown? At least with your oxen, you can plow, you can make money, you can do something with your oxen. What do you do with a crown? I agree, it's very beautiful, but it's useless. So the ministers who were there, who were bringing the crown back to the king, they were laughing. They said, what are you kidding me? With a tiny part of this crown, you can buy yourself a hundred teams of oxen. This crown is worth thousands of times more than all your fields and forests and oxen put together. So that's the story. That's what's called the mushal. The nimshah, the thing that we're comparing it to, is... The Torah. The Torah is actually a priceless thing. The reward is unbelievable. The blessing that a person will get if they start to sit and learn is beyond comprehension. And everybody agrees that the Torah is a priceless thing. It comes from heaven above. So why people don't sit and learn? Because they start to sit and learn, or they get the idea that maybe I should go to a class here and there. And all of a sudden, their neighbor, the Yetzirah, comes in and says to them, what are you doing? You're wasting your time by going to learn. You could be working you could be doing something with your life. Why are you going and sitting and learning? But that's exactly like the farmer who said, don't trade your oxen for the crown. And the moral of the story is, a crown is worth a fortune, even if you can't plow with it. We have to realize where the source of the blessing comes from. If we learn Torah and do mitzvahs, we'll have much, much more blessings. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. Now I want to tell a story about Rev Chadash, Rev Mer Chadash, the famous Mashkiach who came from Europe to Eretz Yisrael. So it says like this. His son is Rev Chadash in the Mir, the Mashkiach of the Mir Yeshiva right now. 
The story is he was about 20 years old, and he was in Russia, and the Cossacks were acting up. So he's walking down the street with a couple of friends, and they say, hey, there's a Bolshevik Jew. So he tried to run away, but the Cossacks came, and they caught him. They came from both sides. So they start to bring him into this courtyard, and they're going to shoot him. And the Cossacks stood him against the wall, and they started to aim their guns at him. They said, stand up straight. We want to stand up straight. He said he was paralyzed with fear. He could hardly move. All of a sudden, the window opens up above his head, and there's a commander in the window screaming down, who's making so much noise down there? You guys are ruining my rest. Get out of here. So slowly, all the soldiers started to pull away, and they ran away. He was left by himself in the courtyard, shaking. It was a miracle that the commander happened to be taking a nap at that time, and the soldiers were bothering him, or he would have got killed. So as he started to walk home, he started to take on different things upon himself. I have to learn better. I have to dive in better. He started to accept upon himself things that he should live a better life. And there's a famous saying of the rabbis that goes like this, even when a sharp sword is resting on a person's neck, he must not despair of heaven's mercy. He was about to be killed. It was a question of seconds. Even if the sword is on a person's neck, he shouldn't have despair. So 10 years later, he was also at the Hebron massacre. And as the Arabs were going around shooting and, and killing people, he was lying there wounded, and there was somebody else lying next to him. So the other person, his friend, was about to get up and try to run. So he says to him, don't run, just stay here. Lie still and hope. Don't move. The Arabs went through different houses, different things, and the end, they were both saved. They thought that they were left for dead. So his friend asked him, I don't understand. Where did you get the strength to just lie there and, and, and trust in God like that? So he said, I got strength from the time in Russia where I was almost killed, and I was sure that God is with me. So that gave me strength. And he said that thing that happened to him in Russia gave him strength for his entire life. So now I want to speak about the Torah portion of the week. This week's Torah portion happens to be Shkalim. That's the Haftorah that we read. The Haftorah we read in the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Adar is Shkalim. It's talking about giving the Chetzi Shekel, which is a commandment in the Torah. And it happened to be that that Chetzi Shekel that we gave also saved us at the time of Purim. I'm going to explain it. So you have a, a philosophical problem. It's the right of the individual versus the right of the community. How much can the individual do that's going to inf infringe on the community? And how much does a person have to give up for the sake of his community? This is, this is an age-old problem, and the Talmud is going to deal with it. So we know that the Talmud connects the mitzvah of the half-shekel with tzedakah. What's the mitzvah of the half-shekel? Moshe Rabbeinu had to count all the Jewish people. So in order, instead of counting people, we wanted to count the coins. So we commanded to give a chetzi, specifically a half a shekel. And that half a shekel was then used for community sacrifices in the temple. We used the half a shekel for the sacrifices. The strange thing is that there's many gemaras that refer to this chetzi shekel as sadaka, But it's not really sadaka. It's not charity. Because we give it and then we get back more than what we give. It's not really charity. So there are three different levels of giving. There's chesed. Chesed means giving to somebody who doesn't deserve. You just give with nothing in return. You're giving out of generosity. And you have the opposite, which is mishpat, which means judgment. You give because you're obligated to give. If you owe somebody money, if there's damages, so you have to give. And then the third type is tzedakah, which is really like a combination of the both. On one side, we have a general commandment to give, we have to give tzedakah. It's one of the most important mitzvahs in the Torah. But it's not like damages where we have to give to the specific person. It's not like borrowed money, I have to pay this guy back. 
Nobody can demand from me that I have to give them sadaka. On the other hand, it's not exactly a chesed. It's not just purely generosity because I have to do it. So what is it? And sadaka is not just a way to keep the lower half of society down. In other words, the upper society gives away money in order to keep the lower half of society quiet so they can do what they want to do. That's not what sadaka is either. So what exactly is sadaka? Not only that, but the Rambam says that we have to be the most careful with sadaka more than any other positive commandment of the Torah. So It's so important. So what's so important about sadaka? And what is the concept of sadaka? Charity. So Rav Moshe Shapiro wants to explain that sadaka is an obligation that comes from the goodness of our hearts. If it's mishpat, for example, if you owe somebody money, so you have to pay them. It's not coming from the goodness of your heart. It's you're giving it because you have to give it. You're obligated. But it's not coming from the goodness of your heart. If it's nezik, you did damage to somebody's property, you have to pay him. But sadaka means you're obligated, but at the same time, it has the chesed aspect. It has the aspect that it's coming from the goodness of your heart. And in a certain sense, this is the purpose of all of Otis Hashem. In serving God, we have to get to the level where we're doing it from ourselves, and at the same time, it's an obligation. We're lifting ourselves up to be obligated. We want to be obligated. We want to give from ourselves also out of obligation. It's greater a person who's commanded to do something than a person just does it out of his own free will. But you see, we were given free will. We're put into this world and really we could do whatever we want as individuals. That's why it gets back to our first question. As individuals, we could do whatever we want. But in terms of community, we can't do whatever we want. So you see there's a balance there between giving, using our free will in any direction that we want to because God gave us life and he gave us control over our own lives. As individuals, we can go up and we can go down. We can elevate ourselves or we can go down. But in terms of community, there's a more of an obligation because when you start to affect more people, the obligation goes up. It's not just you can do whatever you want. For example, if a person wants to watch things that are not clean, so he says, this is my right, human rights, right? I can do whatever I want. As an individual, can you put this stuff out in the street? Can you put out screens in the middle of the street that show things that are not appropriate? Of course not. Yeah, but you say as an individual, I want to do it. So do it. Do it in your house. Don't bring it, don't bring it into society. You're affecting society. What kind of things do you want to bring into society? You're affecting your children, your grandchildren. You're affecting my children. You want to do what you want. But it's like you're drilling a hole in your part of the boat. You could bring down all the society if you, if you bring it out into the street. And on one side, every individual is part of society. So it's a hard mix. On one side, you're an individual. You want to do what you want. On one side, you're part of society. So you can't exactly do what you want. And that's exactly what tzedakah is. Tzedakah means that I give as an individual from my heart that I want to give, but I'm also giving as an obligation as being part of society, community, family. So how does this all relate back to the chetzi shekel? When Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to give the shekel, he was a little bit confused. He didn't know exactly what it was. It was called the Matbeya Shaesh. The Kaddish Baruch was, Hashem said to him, listen, take this shekel. Here it is. It's this shekel that's underneath my throne. That was called the Matbeya Shaesh. So what do you mean a, 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 a coin of fire? A half a coin of fire. This coin of fire means a coin that nullifies every other value before of it. It's the highest value. So the half a shekel that we're supposed to give. Now, let's get straight. Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to use this coin to count the Jewish people. When you count something, we know, the rabbis tell us, it gives a klala, a curse on the thing. Why? Because it separates it. Anything that becomes separate of a group loses its blessing. 
because then it becomes midas hadin, in other words, looked at in terms of judgment. In other words, in terms of you focus. I'll give you an example. How does iron horror work? How can it be that someone else looks at another person and he affects him, affects his his, uh, his money, his car, his house? How can it be? Either way you look, it doesn't make any sense. If the guy deserves to be punished, so why isn't God punishing him? Either you tell me that the guy doesn't deserve to be punished, so how can it be that somebody else looks at him and he gets punished? The answer is that when a person starts to look at him and starts to talk about him, in the heavens, they also start to focus on him. And as you focus on something, you start to see the impurities in it. For example, let's say this guy has a police record. Okay, nobody pays attention that he had a parking ticket, that he had who knows what. All of a sudden, he becomes the, the president, and next thing you know, they start checking out all the things that he did in high school. I actually have a good joke about that. There was these three politicians that wanted to get rid of the fourth politician, three senators, and they didn't know how to get rid of him. They're thinking and thinking, what can we do? How are we going to get rid of this guy? One of the senators says, I know what we'll do. We'll make him president. <laughs> That's going to get rid of him. Why is he going to get rid of him? Because as soon as the guy becomes president, they start checking out what he did in high school, what he did in college, or what, he, what group he was part of, and all these different things. The more you focus on something, the more the meters of judgment comes on a thing. So this counting of the Jewish people could have brought a curse to the Jewish people. That's why we don't count people. How did the half a shekel fix it up? Nah, because what happened is the half a shekel represents that the person is giving from himself in terms of obligation. And in other words, he's connecting, reconnecting with the group again, with the community. He's not looking at himself as an individual. And that's why we give half a shekel. Half a shekel means I'm going to give part of myself. I'm going to give myself over to be obligated to the community. I want to be part of a higher society. I want to dedicate myself with Jewish values, family values, community values. And therefore, the curse was taken away because when you give the half shekel from that perspective, you're reconnecting to the group. So even though they used the half shekel to be counted, it didn't have a curse in it. And that's why sadaka, charity, is one of the most important mitzvahs. It's the basis of the whole Torah. That each individual should reconnect with the group and get the values of the group and have an obligation like the group and not the individual. Our whole society right now is focused on the individual. And look where it's leading. It's leading to all kinds of weirdness. Individual rights. Okay, individual rights. But who says you could drill your hole and, and you're part of the boat? You're part of society. Jewish values means family, marriage, community, group. We're part of a group. And not only that, the Shekhinah, God's presence, comes on the group. When the group is together, God's presence. Where an individual, he may not have God's presence. He may, may or may not have God's presence. But a person who's part of the group is surely going to be saved. He's surely going to have the blessing of the group. And how did this half shekel save us by Purim? We know we're continuing. The Jews were always giving. Every year they would give the mitzvah of the half shekel. And it saved us. So the Chazal tells us that the half shekel of the mitzvah was preceded the money that Haman was trying to give to Akashveros to buy off the ability to kill all the Jewish people. Our half shekel came first. And how did it save us? It says by Yechezkel, the verses say that the Jewish people at that time were comparing themselves to a wife who's divorced from her husband. And we know that a wife has divorced to the husband has zero obligation back to the husband. In other words, society was going in the direction of the individual more than the group. And the individual rights were saying, listen, we have individual rights, so we can do whatever we want. That's where the curse started to come. From there, the curse came on the Jewish people that they were about to be destroyed. And that's why the half shekel saved the Jewish people. It was the coin of fire, which meant the value that has above all values that came from underneath the throne of God. In other words, the individual now is going to reconnect with the group, reconnect with God, reconnect with the family values in the community. And that's what gave us the blessing because we reconnected with the Jewish people. And as a whole, we're blessed. And as individuals, we may not be blessed. 
But as long as we connect up with the group and we keep Shabbos and we show me the mitzvahs and we're part of the Klai Yisrael, we are going to be saved and we're going to be blessed. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. What are you going to do about getting peace in your home? Not a simple story, huh? So this rule is called giving without exceptions. Privileges cannot be demanded. A privilege can't be demanded. For example, Rav Nachum Daimat said like this. He said, if you invite a guy for a job interview and he starts telling you, listen, I want to have power to do this and I want to have power to do that, you better get rid of the guy right away. Why? This guy's going to take over your whole business. You don't get power until you show that you deserve to be given power. The same thing should be in a relationship. You shouldn't be demanding from your relationship, give me this and give me that. What kind of demanding? The proper starting point is, let me fulfill my obligation, and we'll see how it goes from there. If you give to the other person and they're happy with you, they're going to give back to you. You can't start from a point that you have to give to me. Your spouse doesn't owe you anything. You say, legally, okay, legally. I'm talking about emotionally. Nobody owes anybody anything. You can't demand your rights. That's not a way to create love. The way to create love is to give. If you want to create love in the house, you have to give. You can't demand love. And not only that, Derek Arach says, if you want to cleave to your friend, then constantly seek what's good for him. In other words, the giver is going to actually have more love than the one who receives. Also, Rev Desso said the same thing. The number one way to come to love to somebody is to give to them. Okay, it's counterintuitive, but it makes sense. So if you want to create a feeling of love in your house, you have to give. I have a little secret to tell you. God doesn't need us. Sometimes when I say that to people, it shocks them. What do you mean God doesn't need me? He needs me to serve him. He needs me to do this for him. God has no needs. God has no needs. If he has needs, he's not God. So God doesn't need us. So what is his life about? It's only giving. And that's why God loves us so much, because he constantly gives to us. He doesn't need us. It's all for us. The same thing in your relationship. You have to be godly. You have to give to the other person. Don't expect back. You'll get back. But the main thing is giving. So I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please, please leave comments on the blog. Leave comments. I need to know what's going on. If you guys are enjoying this, not enjoying this, and tell your friends about it. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 